Now, church, if I were to ask you the difference between various coffee brews, if I had four cups of coffee up here right now, we'll just go with Red Rambler, Big B, Circle K, and a cup of Folgers, okay? All right. And on the unmarked cups and had you taste test each, would you know the difference? Yeah. Some of you would, some of you wouldn't, right? Because here's the way it works. Some of you don't like coffee. You wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. I mean, you're like, don't want to try it, don't want to look at it. I tried it once, bad, no way, right? That's some of you in this room. There's others of you in this room who are like, I don't like coffee, but boy, I sure do like the smell of it. I mean, I, I love the smell. As a matter of fact, uh, during the holidays, if I'm in the mall or somewhere and there's a coffee shop and I smell, I just, I like going in there just sort of hanging out for a little bit because oh, it's just so refreshing, right? And then there are some of you who are like, well, actually, I like coffee, but I don't need a lot. Just one cup a day, maybe two. That's good enough for me. And, and I'm good with it. Then there's some of you out here who just have to have your coffee. You can't start the day without it. You look at Folgers and McDonald's or Circle K, and you laugh at that weak sauce coffee. And you're like, ha, that's not good enough, right? You've got your own beans. You've got your own grinder. And if I came to your house, you'd fix me up a hot mocha latte, something with 20 other names to it. And you'd, and there you go, right? I'm thinking, thank you, right? There's a big difference, isn't there? Let me tell you something. It's the same way with religion. It really is. See, some, of, some people don't like religion. They won't touch it. They want nothing to do with religion because maybe they had a bad experience in life or they just think it's, it's dumb. There's other people who don't like religion, but they do enjoy the aroma of godly, righteous things. They like being around people who are Christians. They might come to church once or twice because they, they like the atmosphere. It's, it's, a, it's a great place. There's other people who, who like religion. Now, they don't care necessarily to deepen their relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I like to go on occasion. I'm not really going to serve or plug in anywhere, but I like religion. It's good for me, and you know, I'll fit it into my schedule, right? And then there's others who just love religion. They love their faith. They wake up every day, can't wait to open up God's Word. Their Bible's highlighted. They've got a prayer list. Every opportunity they can get to the church, they'll get to the church. They serve there. They, they help in whatever way possible. They seek that fresh start with God every day. Just as you vary in your taste and understanding of a simple drink, we vary as well in our understanding of religion. Because if I were to ask you, did you know the difference between certain religions? And some of us would say yes, and some of us would say no. And some of us look at it like coffee and say, religion, it's all the same thing, right? Some believe that every church is on the same page and teaches the same thing. Matter of fact, if you're visiting this church for the first time and maybe you go to a different style of church, a larger church, a smaller church, a church that maybe uh, takes communion every Sunday, or maybe you, uh, you read as the pastor reads and you read and the pastor reads or something like that, um, you're, you walk in here it's like, this is different. Where's the hymn books? Or where's this or that? You know, we all experience a different setting at times. Well, Nicodemus has been looking at his religion, believing that this is the way it all is, right? Of course, he knows better. He's tasted religion all of his life. A very studious man, a very educated man. As, as Brian shared last week, you know, he memorized the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. And he knew the rest of the writings of the Old Testament, what the prophets said, what David said. He knew it. 
And yet he wondered, hey, Jesus, are you the real deal? Or are you just like everybody else? So in coffee terms, are you the fresh bean or are you just a bunch of groundings that we found on the floor and swept up and threw it in the machine, right? Which one are you, Jesus? Well, John writes this book. If you remember this, John writes it so we know that Jesus is the Son of God and that we may believe that we would bear witness. And the first disciples that came along discovered who Jesus was, and they believed that Jesus is the Son of God. No doubt about it. But chapter 2, if you remember chapter 2, we had the miracle of the, uh, wine, the water to wine. And then Jesus says, but I know the hearts of mankind. And they're not good. And then we move from that chapter right into chapter 3. And understand, there's, a, there's an incredible transition that takes place here. We just we separate them out according to chapters and verses. But when this was first written, it was one long letter. And so if you can imagine, without the chapters, if you're reading this about mankind, then what do you do? We go right into what? Nicodemus, one of those men that represented mankind. And it's really a smooth transition as we get into it. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. Verse 10, if you, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, we'll, we'll bring one to you. John chapter 3, verse 10. Let me begin reading. Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen and yet you don't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven or returned, but the Son of Man came down from heaven. Now, you may remember this was read last week. I want to touch on it a little bit more. Nicodemus was religious, very religious. He had his idea of how faith worked, right? Mainly by works. This is how I get there. You get right with God by doing the right things. You get to go to heaven by your actions. I've got a list of the laws, the do's and the don'ts, and I'm going to follow all of them so I can be in his presence. Nicodemus believed that, as well as many others. But the thing is, all that needs to be done has already been done by Jesus Christ. Salvation, church, listen, salvation, being saved from eternal death and hell, is nothing we earned. It's something we receive. Jesus did all the work. We don't have to. A couple of verses, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. He goes, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Paul's very clear. You can't work your way into heaven. It's a gift. You need to receive it. Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had, what? Done, right? But because of his mercy. He washed away our sins. He gives us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. We find salvation through God, through his Son, Jesus Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit. That is salvation. And when Jesus said, you must be born again, Nicodemus, what? He didn't understand new birth, nor the effects in the lives of God's children. He didn't get it, didn't click. So Jesus says, you know what, Nicodemus? You're a student of the law. You know the Old Testament. I'm going to take you back to one of those books you have memorized. Let's go back to Numbers. 
I'm going to share a story with you, and then I want to point you forward. So Jesus, in his next words, if you're looking at John chapter 3, verse 13, now we move into verse 14. Verse 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus is talking about these things you don't understand. Then he moves into this whole situation from the book of Numbers. See, here's what happens. This this comes from Numbers chapter 21. And I love this because this is the first instance where John refers back to the Old Testament to point to something that Jesus is doing now. Think about this. Oh, by the way, I'm standing before you right now, and there's something that's sort of foreshadowing the coming. I'm going to go back and point out where it was first mentioned. And he takes him to Numbers 21. In Numbers chapter 21, there's this story where Moses is leading the people through the desert. They've taken the people out of Egypt. They're wandering through the desert. They come across in an area of, by uh, Mount Hor near the, near the Red Sea and the borders of Edom, which basically means this. It is very desolate. It is very dangerous. It is a very uh, inhospitable territory, okay? It's a place you really don't want to hang out. And along the way, the people became impatient. They began to murmur. They began to complain. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm tired. I'm sure you've never heard that before, right? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Right? So here's these people doing the same thing, but it's a little bit deeper than this, right? But these people, they were complaining because they started to say these kind of things. You took us, Moses, out here to die. Is that God's plan? God basically has taken us out of Egypt, out here, so we can die. Oh, that's a drama right there, isn't it? Your kids ever in the backseat? Are we there yet? Are we just, you purposely drove us in this car to make me sit next to my sibling because you hate me. Yep, that's what I did as a parent. Put my three boys in the backseat, drove for hours just so that they would just enjoy each other's presence. No, no, no. We're going somewhere just as these people were. And think about this. Does that really make sense? Do you think God would go through all that trouble, the ten plagues in Egypt, getting the people out of, raising up Moses, getting the people out of Egypt, get to the Red Sea, part the Red Sea, send them through, save them from the Egyptians just to kill them? Really, do you think God's like that? That's not God's nature. That is not a God of love. But how many times have we done that? I'm going through some tough situations in my life right now. God must hate me. I can't believe what just happened. God must hate me. God must, you know, he just, he did this on purpose. Really? You know, I think none of us in this room would ever say God's like that, but haven't there been times when we've been sort of, maybe had that little thought in our mind, it's like, God must be out for me. Really? I don't think so. It's not God's nature. Even though we look at a rotten day, a bad situation, we decide it's God's fault. That's not true. That's not true. God does not find pleasure or invent ways to make his most precious creation miserable. That's not his nature. Listen, he may try to get our attention with a little discipline. That may happen. That's what my father did. That's what my mother did. Rex, give me your belt. (laughs) You know what that meant, right? Come here. Bend over. 
Here comes the paddle, here comes the hand, here comes the belt. We got spanked back in the day. There was no timeout, okay? Time, you go in your room, you think about it. Well, I'll think about it. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Okay, no, that didn't happen, okay? Timeout was, uh, timeout, I know you're enjoying riding your bike right now. Get off your bike, give me your belt. Ooh, that's the timeout. And then remember parents, what they did? This is going to hurt me more than it's going to. Yeah, you've all heard it, yeah. Some of you have probably used that line on your kids, right? And then what did we think as kids? We're like, no, it's not. It's going to hurt me more than you. It's going to hurt me more than the belt. Trust me, I will scream. You hit me with that belt, belts don't scream, right? I actually did accidentally spank my son so hard one time. Just like, actually did hurt. That hurt. That hurt me more than him, I think. But here's the thing. We disciplined our kids. God disciplines us too. Read about it in Hebrews. But he does it for a reason. Not out of spite. Never out of anger. But out of correction. And God did correct his children. And he still corrects today. But God's nature is not that of, I'm going to hurt you. I'm doing this on purpose to make you miserable. That's not God. We discover that God punishes them because of their complaints. And it wasn't just a, are we there yet? I'm tired. It was deeper than that. Their complaints was that of snubbing their nose to God, flippantly saying, hey, I don't need you, God. God sent fiery serpents among them to wake them up. And these serpents came and they began to bite people and people started dying and the people recognized in that moment they had sinned. It came, all of a sudden clarity came. It's like, you know what? We've messed up. We have sinned. And they admitted it. And they went to Moses and said, Moses, please go to God. Intercede for us. Tell him we are sorry. And Moses went to God. God told Moses to do this. Make a replica of a poisonous snake. Attach it to a pole. And all who are bitten will simply live if they just simply look at the pole. (laughs) Simply look at the pole? What kind of story is this, right? See, the heart of the story lies in the promise that everyone who's bitten by that that fiery serpent, just all you needed to do was just look at the pole and that would cure you. Sounds crazy, right? How absurd. How This is not intellectual at all, right? Do you think Nicodemus looks at Jesus and goes, I remember that. That doesn't make any sense. And Jesus sort of looks at him like, like being born again, like our conversation we were just talking about. Doesn't make sense, does it? But that's the answer. Today, with knowledge of medicine and remedies and drugs and antibiotics that are available to us, we would look at this story and we say, no, that doesn't make sense. Why don't they just come up with a remedy? But, but see, it makes sense, though, when we understand that the, this moment in history, in the book of Numbers, in history, when it happened, it was pointing forward to thousands of years ahead when Jesus Christ would be lifted up on a cross. And those of us who have been bitten by sin, which is all of us, can look to the cure, Jesus Christ. That's what this passage was doing. Pointing us forward to that day. This was the only answer for the people who were bitten by snakes was to look at that bronze snake on the pole. And just as we've been bitten by sin and we need a cure, we put our eyes on Jesus Christ as the only cure. He is the only way. Let me hear you say only way. He is the only way. He is the one way. There's no other way. See, the people could have sought out any means for their situation. See, these people could have said, you know what, um, How about we develop our own remedy? Let's come up with a potion. Let's come up with a salve. 
Let's, let's work this out. Let's, I'm sure we can come up with it. Let's put our minds together and, and find the answer. But there was no human remedy. The only remedy was this, and that was take your eyes, put them up there on that bronze snake, on that pole. That's the cure. In the same way, church, listen, sin has bitten us. We are all infected with sin. And there is no cure for sin that we can come up with. I can't come up with a potion or a salve to help get rid of sin. I can't remedy it. But we are told to put our eyes on Jesus Christ, the only cure. These people could have tried to follow a path of self-reformation. They could have said, you know what? Let's do some self-help classes. Let's figure this out. And we'll start a new, you know, turn over a new leaf in life, like make a New Year's resolution. I'm going to get it all better, right? Here's what we're going to do. From now on, I'm going to avoid anywhere where there might be a snake. Okay? Let's not go into that territory again. Let's avoid anything where there might be a snake. And we're just going to live life new because I'm turning over a new leaf. But here's the problem. That doesn't solve the fact that you were already bitten, does it? You can turn over a new leaf, but you've got to take care of what happened in the past with that bite. Let's say I operate a small store, okay? And I have a customer come into my store. And they've not paid their bill for a few months. And they come to me saying, Hey, Rex, um, I realize that I've been making a very bad mistake and not paying for my goods. And, and I've been dealing with you in a bad way. And I've been using up my credit. Now I'm in debt to you. Um, but I'm changing. I'm changing. I'm turning life over new and... From now on, I'm going to pay cash. I look at him and say, that's awesome. I'm glad you're making that change in your life. Good for you. Good for you. I'm, I'm, I'm proud you made that decision. He goes, okay, well, I'm going to pay you cash from now on. Certainly you won't hold that old unpaid account against me, right? Because uh, I'm turning over a new leaf. Well, as a businessman, I would look at him and say, again, I'm happy for you that you're making this change and that you're going to pay me from cash out, but I'm sorry, but I'm unable to do business that way. You still have a debt that needs to be paid. And until you pay that debt, I can't let you continue to do business with me because business requires me to demand that which is past. Does that make sense? In the same way, God requires which is past. In spite of me trying to live a new life and do good things, my past sins are still need to be paid for. And the only one that can pay for that is Jesus Christ. He paid for that for you and I. Someone had to pay the debt. Somebody did, and that's Jesus Christ. Or here's another thing. Maybe I don't have my own remedy. Maybe just self-reformation and self-help classes doesn't work. How about this? How about I start a nonprofit organization to fight snakes? We will make sure this doesn't happen again. We'll call it mass. Mothers against slippery serpents. How's that? Anybody in? Okay. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to raise money. I'm going to raise awareness. And we will organize ourselves. And we will go out and we'll step on snakes. And we'll, we'll encourage people to where to go and not go, right? Okay. No offense against nonprofits because I work for one, okay, at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. But we're not the cure. Oh, I love the ministry of FCA. But FCA is not the cure. We share the cure, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He is our salvation. And we have to believe it. All these other self-help things does not save you. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you openly declare 
that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. It's with our mouths that we declare and it's with our hearts that we believe. That is what saves us. You know, it wasn't about those, those bronze snakes or the pole. These people didn't go out and buy snake relics or do certain things like we do, like baptism or child dedication or the Lord's Supper or all these religious things that we do. Those things don't save you. This morning's child dedication was not about saving Avery. It's about dedicating her to God. A public act and declaration of Christian parents who say, we want to raise our child in a godly way. They are outwardly showing what is inwardly going on in their hearts. Same with communion. Same with baptism. Those things do not save us. In scriptures, it's very clear. Romans chapter 2, 28-29 says this. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. Ceremonies and relatives don't save us. My grandfather was a pastor for 60 years. I should be in the front row in heaven, right? No. Not till I make the decision myself. My grandpa didn't save me can't save me. I was bat- I remember when I got baptized, that didn't save me. That was just an outward showing of my inward belief that I was a Christian. That's what we read here. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. True circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Galatians 2, 15-16 says this, You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet, we know that a person is made right with God. How? By faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we've obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Doing a bunch of good things, reading the Bible and going to the mountain, that doesn't get you into heaven either. Scripture is clear that these things don't save you. There's only one cure for the sin, and that is Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross for you and I. He looks at Nicodemus, and you have to imagine he's going through all this. He goes, do you believe this, Nicodemus? Do you believe this? Look back at John chapter 3. Go back to verse 10. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you don't believe our testimony. If you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? As Jesus is saying this, and as we're reading that, did you catch the change of the pronouns? Verse 11, Jesus used the plural we, as you may have noticed. Some people say as he is speaking here, he's speaking of the Trinity. He's saying the Heavenly Father, myself, and the Spirit are speaking here. Others are saying he's referring to the disciples that are sitting around him as he's having this discussion with Nicodemus saying, we together, we're all witnesses of this. Other people say it's probably a combination of both. As we look at this, trying to keep it in context with with the fact that Jesus had just performed a miracle and he is with his disciples and people are seeing these amazing things happen around him. We believe that he's referring to himself and those believers that are there that have placed their faith in Jesus as being the Son of God. It's like this. 
Has anybody in here seen the Grand Canyon? Raise your hand up nice and high if you have. Raise your hand up nice and high. Was it amazing? Yes? How many of you um, have seen a baby born be born? Raise your hand. Is that amazing? Yes. Okay. How many of you last week saw the effects of the wind? Remember those 50 mile per hour winds we had? Tree limbs down. How many of you saw the effects of that? Raise your hand. Okay, if your hand is not up, I don't know where you at. Maybe you were in, you must have barricaded yourself in your house and did not look outside. That was a safe place for sure. I had fear for anybody under 100 pounds when they came to church. I thought they'd be blown away. Um, but we, you all witnessed. You raised your hands. You were all saying, I witnessed these amazing things. The physical. Yes? Okay. Now here, let me share something with you that was amazing that took place last week as well. Besides those powerful winds. We all know... As Jesus says, you know, what we have seen physically and spiritually, and it's amazing. Last week, uh, there's, I want to tell you some evidence of a, of a spiritual life that was changed, and it was amazing. See, Brian preached God's words last week, and Brian always does an amazing job. I love it. Um, Brian's able to come up here and, and fill the pulpit for me. He is pretty straightforward and clear in what he shared last week. And as you know, we have different styles, Right? I lean on my notes because I know if I don't use my notes, I will be all over the place, okay? Brian is up here going back and forth, keeping you alert, watching. You got to keep your eyes on him. If you look up and you're like, wait, where did he go? Oh, he's over there, you know, right? You know that's his style, right? And he shared God's truth in a tremendous way. I know this. We will use different illustrations. We will look at the same passage and we'll probably preach it differently, okay? And that's what happened last week. He used an illustration I wouldn't have used. You remember the illustration about the roller coaster and losing control of your life and so forth? Okay. I probably wouldn't have used that illustration. I probably wouldn't have preached it in the style that he preached it. Okay. But he brought the truth. Now listen very carefully. Remember that point. Meanwhile, my wife, uh, when she came, we obviously drive separate because I'm here earlier. Here. Well, she came to second service and she was running late. I won't say why, but she was running late. So she got here late. And because she got here late, she wouldn't sit where she normally sits. And there was an open chair and she sat down next to somebody. Here's the funny thing. This person that she sat down to, she probably hasn't sat next to for like maybe a couple months. And the only reason she sat next to her that time too is because she was running late. She doesn't normally run late. But the two times she ran late, she just happened to be sitting next to the same person. Well, as Brian is preaching and God's spirit is moving through this building, the person sitting next to Jenny, and Jenny's also being hit too, but the person next to Jenny is also hearing God speak. And that person surrendered her life to Jesus Christ last week. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And so, so listen very carefully to this. You want to know how the spirit works? Had I been preaching... I wouldn't have used the illustration. I wouldn't have preached the way I did. That person probably would have never heard what they needed to hear. Had Jenny been on time, she would have never sat next to that person and been able to pray with that person afterwards. Do you see how the Spirit works? God does amazing things. It's out of our control. We see the physical effects of things in our lives, but have you ever seen the spiritual transforming power of Jesus Christ? Yes. If you've ever seen the spiritual transformation or the power of Jesus, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Now, take a look around. Keep them up. Look around. See how many hands are up? You've all testified that his spirit is real. You're all testifying to the evidence that God's work is amazing. The evidence of God can be seen spiritually and physically. 
And just as this verse talks about the serpent and the pole, and he starts relating that to himself, Jesus takes this and he sort of transitions. Look what he does, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. Oh, we know that verse so well. But right before it was what? Hey, there is a sin problem, right, with these people. But it wasn't sin. It was what? It was serpents. And they were dying physically. We are dying spiritually. The cure for their serpent bite is to look at the pole. The cure for our sin problem is to look at the cross. And Jesus ties these verses together so well. And I love it because we, we all know that verse, John three sixteen. You remember uh, Tim Tebow? He sort of started off with little black things under his eyes. He had John three sixteen on there. And, of course, a lot of people Googled it. Millions of people Googled it and saw the gospel that day. They had no clue. What's John 3, 16? So they're all Googling it, right? And they're brought right to this verse. What an incredible witness, right? It's a well-known verse. Songs and poems and and artwork and, and posters. And we see this verse everywhere. For God so loved. I'm telling you. A lot of us think God's out to get us. He's not. He loves us. It's a great love. And because God loves you, he doesn't want to see you stay where you're at, in your sin, in your misery, in your depression, in your pain. So he will do what he has to, to get your attention, to reach in and say, look at me, I'm the cure. For God so love, it's a great love, a love we don't understand because we throw the word great around all the time. Oh, that was great, man, that was super, that was awesome, that was great. The great love of God, how great is our God? Ephesians 2, 4-5 says this, But God is so rich in his mercy. He loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. His love is infinite. There are no boundaries to God's love. No matter where you look, his love goes. Ephesians 3, 18-19 says this, And you may have the power to understand all that God's people should, how wide how long, how high, how deep his love is. There's no boundaries. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. That is God's love, and we'll talk more about this next week. But I want you to hear this morning, church, you are loved by the God of this universe. You are loved by the God of this universe. You know, Nicodemus was dedicated to a law. He occupied a seat on the basically the Judean Supreme Court. He had credentials and all kinds of titles that listed longer than a yardstick behind him, but Jesus didn't care. Jesus looked at Nicodemus like he would look at any other person and say, you need to be saved. Put your eyes on me. I've got the cure for your sin. See, we have a sin problem in this world. We all are aware of it, right? We've been bitten by sin from day one. And the only cure is to look to Jesus Christ. To admit that we have blown it. Our good deeds, our making resolutions to change, our efforts don't, doesn't save us. Being religious doesn't save us. Only Jesus Christ saves us. Thanks be to God that he provided a cure for us. Amen? Out of his great love, he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Do you believe this? 
Worship team, would you come forward, please? Church, I'm going to ask you again. Listen carefully. Don't check out on me yet. Do you believe this to be true? I shared this past week in a, in a devo, devotional that I sent out in an email. A lot of you probably read it. If you didn't, I'm just going to say it real quick. Basically this, December 26th, 2018, this past December, number 23, Boise State, was taken on Boston College in a College Bowl football game in the Cotton Bowl. You can imagine what goes on in these bowl games, planning for weeks, watching game field, preparation, all kinds of practice. Somebody on that coaching staff is planning where they're going to travel, what hotel they're staying in, the food, all that kind of stuff. It's all getting figured out. Parents are saying, i got to get my airfare figured out so I can where I'm going to stay when I get down to Dallas. And you've got people flying in from all over to come to this bowl game. You've got these football players who are sitting there saying, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be able to show my talents as NFL scouts, and they're going to see me play. And, and this is my last game as a senior, and, and then maybe an underclassman who wants to go pro. This might be his last game too. So they've got all this expectation. This is going to be awesome. Well, here's what happens. In the first quarter, a, a storm comes in. Lightning bolts are hitting, and they, they pause the game. And they wait, and they wait. Finally got to the point where they said, we're going to cancel the game, no contest. Matter of fact, for the next three hours after the contest uh, was called, after the football game was called, it continued to lightning. It was the first no contest, the first bowl game ever canceled in history of bowl games for weather. Can you imagine the coaches, the players, the parents, all that expectations of, man, I can't wait to do, I can't wait. Or how about this? See, it got canceled halfway through the first quarter. What if I was out there on offense and I messed up, I made a mistake, it's like, oh, you know what? I'll get out there in the next play, the next offensive series, and I'll make up for it. Or if I'm on defense and I miss a tackle, it's like, you know what? The next defensive series I get out there, I'll make a tackle. But here's the thing, it didn't happen game was canceled. There was no next opportunity to get out there. I got a phone call Tuesday morning. Tell me that my friend had been hit by a car or by a truck. And I got my car thinking, can't be, no way, not true. And I drove to the hospital and I got there and the families there weeping and crying and I'm in there with them. And I'm thinking, how, why? You know, all those things that go through your mind. It was too late to tell my friend I love them. It was too late to tell my friend, hey, good to see you. It's too late to say whatever I wanted to say to my friend. It was too late. We all think, oh, we've got tomorrow. We got tonight. I've got the next hour. How do you know? You don't. I don't. We don't know when Christ is going to return. We don't know when it's going to be the end of our time. So we better be ready. So if you're sitting here this morning, I'm going to ask you again. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is the cure for your sin? Have you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord? Today is the day. Listen, church. I'm looking at you now as a person is dying. As one who is dying. None of us are moving backwards. We're all moving forward in life. And the further we move forward in life, the closer we are to death. We don't know when that's going to be. So I'd be a very proud man to say, I'll talk about this next week. No, I'm going to tell you now. Because I don't know what tomorrow holds. I'm going to be in God's presence. Because I've declared it. Have you.
I hope when you leave this place this morning, there is no doubt. Because if you're sitting there saying right now, it goes, well, I hope so. I mean, you know, what, you, know what, you know what an I hope so is? It's a no. Get rid of that doubt. Do not let Satan speak doubt into your mind. Truth be told, if you have declared with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Do you believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the cure for the sin in your life? Have you confessed your sins to a holy God? If yes and yes, yes. Yes. Would you stand, please? Church, God loves you. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. If you didn't hear the truth from me, then you'd have a liar standing before you. The truth is, because I care about you and I love you, I want you to know that there's only one cure, and that is Jesus Christ. Confess your sins to him. It's those sins that separate us from God. Confess them to him. Get them out. Put your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the cure. He's the cure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. I thank you, Lord, for this day. We can come here to worship you, but we can hear truth. Just as Nicodemus was wanting to know, is this the real deal? I know a lot about religion, but I want to know, is this the real thing? And wow, Jesus brewed up some incredible truth. He said, taste this truth. Son of man stands before you sent from heaven and he's going to be put up on a cross and he's going to take care of the penalty of your sin do you believe that Nicodemus and as we read these words we have to ask the same question do we believe do we believe that Jesus Christ is the cure for our sin God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your great love. Thank you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus. Thank you for your love that you say, I want you in my presence and you long for us to be in your presence in heaven, but we can't if we keep living our selfish ways. So God, help us to surrender this morning. Right where we're at, if we need to pray, say, I'm sorry, forgive me all my sins. And God, we will pray that right now. We want to get right with you because we don't want anyone leaving this place separated from you. So God, we admit our sins to you. We confess our sins to you right where we're standing. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins. Cleanse us, Lord. Lord, we can't keep trying just to turn over a new leaf. We need the work of your spirit in us to help us be victorious. We trust you, Lord. We place our faith in you. We ask for your spirit to come into our life and make us new. Lord, thank you for what you are doing and what you have done in our lives. We love you, Lord. We sing to you now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.